coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. People are just becoming much more aware of what's going into their food and taking the time to kind of research all these type of things. Um, but we do have that question all the time, you know, how are you different from X, Y, and Z smoothie shop? And we just have to explain, you know, high level the difference between processed sugars and natural sugars. We're just selling a product that really benefits your body in multiple different ways versus what's really a milkshake at that point, right. you know? So. And we, you know... We love milkshakes, but it's like if we're gonna go have that, let's go to get a really good, you know, let's go to Jenny's ice cream and get ice cream. Right. Let's not get something that we're convincing ourselves is healthy. After years of teaching business and entrepreneurship, I found that when guest speakers revealed the hardships and mistakes made throughout their professional and personal lives, it resonated with my students. That's when I thought, why not share these stories so that other entrepreneurs have access to the same insights? for education and inspiration. I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. On this episode, we speak with Landon and Kat Eccles from Clean Juice. Landon and Kat opened their first store in June of 2015 after deciding to finally follow their entrepreneurial spirit and built a company that is rooted in biblically-based principles. The first clean juice store was a great success and they quickly began expanding and franchising. In three years, they have over 43 stores open and another 60 in development. They became the first franchise food concept that was certified USDA or organic. They are passionate about providing an all organic food option to people on the go. So uh, a lot of success just within three years, but at the same time, where does this idea come from? What is your background that leads to we're going to open, I don't want to say a faith-based business, but it is a faith-based business. And then on top of that, a healthy lifestyle business. Kat and I got the idea to open Clean Juice in uh, the summer of 2014, but it really came about because... Uh, I was traveling a lot internationally for my previous job in commercial real estate development, and it was a great job, but it was very tough on us. It was tough on, um, we, have a, we have a young family. Um, she was pregnant with our fourth at that time, and uh, it just became too much to try to be gone, you know, while also trying to raise a family. We just needed a change. And Kat and I, I'll never forget it, we were out on our little ski boat up in Pennsylvania, and I had just gotten back from a trip, and we were talking about how awful the travel was and how tough it was. And Kat was like, well, what if we just moved to Charlotte and opened a juice bar? And literally the next day we drove down to Charlotte, we bought a house and that's exactly what we did. Why Charlotte? Um, Landon's mom had lived here for about 10 years prior and um, we just loved the area. We were in the Northeast and it's expensive and cold and people are crabby. (laughs) We um, had got to watching Elevation Church online and they're based here in Charlotte. So we just felt called here and um, that's kind of how we brought our faith into our business too. You know, it was, we wanted this business to be authentic to who we were. So um, choosing to use organic produce was something that I was doing at home for 10 years and was a non-negotiable for me. So I was like, if we're going to make this product, it's going to be organic and our faith was what was driving us so again we just wanted to keep kind of um, our base and our roots in the business as we built it so kind of moved down here became part of the church and um, we love Charlotte we would never live anywhere else so and you said commercial real estate yep commercial real estate and retail let alone anything else uh, very different exactly so you probably are a customer of who you used to be that's right it's a huge leap it is not honestly just moving for uh, another state for a job is one but to come and we're gonna open uh, a juice bar so the climate was right 
the uh, the environment uh, you you mentioned based on your faith principles. What lined up perfectly to say, okay, these are where my customers will be. Well, I think a lot of people, you know, when we were telling people about our idea, they were like, you have to go to New York City or LA. Like, that's the only place where it works. Like, why aren't you going to Southern California? And I was like, they already have this. You know, there's plenty of juice bars in New York and California, but there's all these underserved markets that really need it. And we thought, you know, if we can prove this model in suburban Charlotte, North Carolina, we can scale this nationally anywhere. So we kind of wanted to pick somewhere that was, first of all, underserved and um, was an educated population that was ready for something healthy while they were out. Um, and again, that we could kind of replicate in, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, because you can't compare St. Louis, Missouri to Southern California, right? right? But you can compare it to Huntersville, North Carolina. You moved down here in 2014 and you opened your first shop in 2015. Yep. And where is that shop? Burkdale Village, up in Huntersville near Lake Norman. So you have your built, you, you, at least you've been through it on the commercial real estate, you have the build out. Right. It's a little bit different than a full service restaurant where you don't need a full kitchen, but you right. do need prep areas. Yep. It's but probably a little bit more detailed than a, um, TCBY sure. current model. So you, you build this up. Are you the first two employees? <laughs> Pretty oh, yeah. much. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, you know, we, we get this crazy idea to drive to Charlotte. Um, we're going to open a juice bar, but we actually, um, we did our research and we started looking around in, you know, some of the franchises that were out there. We looked at, you know, all of our big competitors and, you know, we didn't find anything that was organic. And I think, you know, we found a lot of times that they were saying it was a pineapple kale smoothie, but they were also adding up to 12 tablespoons of sugar into that product. And we just, we couldn't get behind anything like that. So that's when we really made that big leap of faith to just really start our own concept. So from to summer of 2014 all the way to the summer of 2015, uh, quit my job, no income coming in, everything going out first two employees, and you had mentioned before, my background in real estate really helped us to find this space and negotiate it. Thank God I had that background because I knew really everything the landlord was looking for in terms of the concept, what you know, what was attractive to them, uh, the guests that we were gonna serve and how I could articulate that to them. And now as we scale, we know that story really well and we know everything the landlords are looking for. So we're, um, one of the reasons why we've been able to scale is because we're pretty desirable for them. They want um, you know, new, great, great-looking concepts that serve uh, a demographic that we're serving in their centers. So we um, were able to scale uh, through that. But yeah, we were the first two employees, and um, we turned our kitchen into a test kitchen, and our kids ate nothing but smoothies for 10 months. So. Let's go back to your competitors and uh, adding sugar. Uh, I want to talk about what you execute really well, which is not just selling health, but practicing it. Because there are a lot of companies out there that they're really not selling health. They're selling the, you know, I'm going to drink healthy, therefore I'm going to go to Juice King. I, I hopefully <laughs> we don't have to bleep that out. But you go there and it is nothing, it is, the last thing it is is actually healthy. That's right. How does that affect to where those that think they're drinking healthy and getting a mouthful of sugar versus how do you sell that concept? How do you lose or gain customers based on that? I would say luckily for us, people are becoming more and more educated, you know, even day by day. So people are just becoming much more aware of what's going into their food and taking the time to kind of research all these type of things. Um, but we do have that question all the time, you know, how are you different from 
X, Y, and Z smoothie shop, and we just have to explain, you know, high level the difference between processed sugars and natural sugars. We're just selling a product that really benefits your body in multiple different ways versus what's really a milkshake at that point, right. you know? <laughs> so, and we, you know, we love milkshakes, but it's like, if we're going to go have that, let's go to get a really good, you know, let's go to Jenny's ice cream and get ice cream. Right. Let's not get something that we're convincing ourselves is healthy. healthy. Right. Yeah. right. Um, you know, I think with what we do, there's a big educational component, which is cool because we are continuing to educate people on the benefits of our products because there are true benefits to what we do. But also, you know, on a macro level, we decided to do clean juice because we believed it was right. It was the right thing to do. It was the right product to offer. And we could, it was something that we felt good about. But on a macro level, the organic industry has grown from $5 billion industry annually 10 years ago to $50 billion last year to it's supposed to be $350 billion over the next six years. So on a macro scale, it's really, really growing. Um, but we did it because we just believed that it was the right thing to do. And, you know, thank God it's something that's, you know, people are really understanding and they're educating themselves on the importance of eating, you know, eating clean, eating organically and, um, you know, trying to limit sugar. Was the goal to start one shop and that just be the family business and you run it, or did you have the vision early on, let's get it right and replicate it? The number that we initially had set out before we opened, we're like, look, if we could do 10 stores in five years, that would just be incredible. That was like our big, you know, that was our, our BHAG goal, big Harry Audacious goal. Here we are three years later and we have almost 45 stores open with another um, actually 80 in development. So it's just, it's incredible. And you know, when we first opened our, our very first store, we did it obviously with a lot of faith behind that. And we just wanted our store to be so successful that people said there's no way they could have done that on their own without the hand of God over their business. And it's, it's just pretty cool as to how he's been able to help us scale our business to where we are today. Um, we definitely wanted to grow. First we had to prove it and then scale it. Um, but we proved it pretty quickly and we scaled it really quickly. But, you know, it wasn't because of our, what we were able to do, it's really, you know, what we feel is a provision over our company. So with that, you have 43 stores open now. I, I'm assuming that with them being franchise, uh, franchises that uh, you, you only probably own a couple of those. We do. How many do you have? an equal number of franchisees, or are, are they, uh, does a couple franchisees own like four or five stores? We own five stores corporately, we call them home stores, and then the rest are franchised. We actually have 55 franchise uh, partner groups, so the average units owned is about two. We have some that own, I think one owns over five, a lot own just one, and the median is like two. Your model, your franchise are very, uh, very specific. Like you know what you want and you know what your business is going to be about. How do you vet your franchisees because someone's going to invent something new, which is a cup of sugar? So how, how do you how do you manage that and kind of regulate that? Yeah, it's a it's a really great question, and it's one of the most important things that we do when we're opening a store. There's really two things you need. You need great real estate and you need a great operating partner or a great franchise partner. Um, if you get those things right, home run. So 
We actually have the best uh, director of franchise development ever. Her name's Stacy, and she she really starts the process with them, getting to know them, has multiple phone calls, uh, FaceTimes with them, and she really gets to know them personally. Obviously, they have to have a certain amount of liquidity and cash flow to be able to open a clean juice, so that's, that's vetted. Um, but Kat and I still meet with every single potential franchise partner uh, that come through our doors. So when we schedule a discovery day, um, we do it individually. A lot of companies, they'll bring in a group of people, hit them with a PowerPoint and hope that they award maybe half the room. We do it a lot differently. We have them come in, we get to know them personally. We wanna know why do you wanna open a Clean Juice? Uh, why are you passionate about this? Are you passionate about it? What's your operating experience? Where do you want to go? Have you done the research on your market yet? So we ask them all these questions. Um, and then they meet with our management team and they get even more granular with those questions. We have them prepare a business plan as to how they are going to make Clean Juice successful in their neighborhood, right? Because it's their neighborhood and they know it better than we will. So it's up for them to provide that. Um, and then they go around and see our stores. They see the back end of the business, the, um, the kitchen, the front of the house, the back of the house. We actually put them on the register for a minute to see how they interact with guests. We have them make product um, and that's a whole day. So we really care about that because it's one of the two variables that we have to hit. In franchising, it's a beautiful business model if it's done well and you do it well by bringing in great partners. So bringing that, that, that really is the other question is the scalability is there's a lot of companies that do what you're doing in one store for five years before the second one right. uh, is created. In that scalability, so we started with just the two of you and maybe some child labor from your kids uh, working in that first store to where I, I already know in your corporate office you have it looked like anywhere from eight to 12 people. I mean, the, the company's grown vastly and now you're at 43 stores. So where I, I kind of want to, uh, if you can walk us through without details, a lot of companies, if they expand that quickly, quickly go bankrupt because they don't have the resources to do this. So do you self-finance? Do you get to a point where you bring in investors? Do you, do you, do you completely bootstrap? How do you how do you handle that type of growth? Great question. So in the beginning, it was just the two of us. Um, I was very blessed in my previous career and did well and really used that money plus some <laughs> to open right. our first store. And then from there, um, we actually brought in a partner uh, who just was coming in as a guest, a local wealthy individual, and just said, man, I love what you're doing. How can I get involved? We got him involved really quickly. And from there, he brought in uh, his family. So basically one investor group. Um, and that's, you know, that's been the fuel behind the fire to really get it going. Um, Kat and I still own the majority of the business and we, you know, they're pretty much silent investors and we, we still call the shots, but we needed that financing to be able to scale up as quickly as we have. I would also say that it takes a, uh, a little level of crazy <laughs> to scale your business that quickly. Yes. But I would also say that, you know, it takes that, that plus 10 times the amount of passion for what you're doing, right? Because, I mean, I talk to a lot of people about how we've scaled and why we've scaled. And I would say that there's so much opportunity out there for young people, for really anybody, you know, the labor markets, like they're, they're great. Like unemployment rates are very low. Go do what you love, right? If you don't love what you're doing, don't do it. Because I guarantee there's another opportunity out there that you'll love. You know, I think it really stems from all of that. But then you have to have the, you know, the business behind it. And you have to have <clears throat> the financing behind it. Um, we actually have 
uh, almost 30 employees at our home office now to really scale, uh, to continue to scale the business because we have 40, almost 45 open, but another 80 in the pipeline. So we're, we're scaling for that. We've moved offices three times <laughs> because we just keep outgrowing. Clean Juice actually almost employs a thousand people at this point, which is really incredible. So, you know, we're, we're continuing to scale for that. At what point do you make a decision? Do you, do you ever get to that point where you are teetering of, oh my gosh, we're all in? Because here's the thing, that sometimes happens by accident and by passion. And, uh, or do you get to the point where you say, okay, enough's enough, let's go look for our investor. Let's go look for our perfect investor. You know, when we brought on um, our second partner, we were at that point where like, we were literally writing checks to pay payroll, you know, of our corporate staff that we had just hired to be able to scale because the stores weren't open yet, so they weren't producing income. So there was definitely a period there where it was really stressful. Luckily, we had been talking to uh, my partner's brother-in-law about coming on and, you know, thank God he, he ended up making an equity investment. Um, so we sold him a piece of the company for his equity investment. And um, it was literally right at the perfect time. And then from there, you know, he saw where we were able to scale. And then we brought in our last partner, who's actually um, the two brothers' father-in-law. So one little uh, investor group, they're incredible. They all came in at the perfect time when we needed them to come in for the business. Um, it's very hard when you're scaling a business because you don't always know what's in front of you. You don't know how quickly it's going to grow or how slow it's going to grow. So you don't want to give away too much, but you also want to be careful of um, your liquidity and how much cash flow you have. So it's a fine balance, but there have been very, some, some very challenging parts along the way. But we haven't had to take on really any debt. Um, we've just been able to sell equity and uh, raise funds that way. Bringing in that first partner is nerve-wracking because you, you need something. You need capital. You also don't, you know, your 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 goal isn't to, to snow through anybody. You, you really want to, you don't want to let them down. Right. So so finding that partner and building that relationship of uh, setting expectations like, this is what we need, this is what we think we're going to do with it. But there's always that risk that, you know, it may just not go as planned. We've talked earlier on too, though, that is in your business model is uh, how your faith is incorporated into your model. So while the healthy aspect is completely visible, how do you translate that to where it is part of your model and part of your customer experience, customer base, and, and so forth? So all of our uh, core values are biblically based, and when we're bringing on a potential franchise partner, we send them something that's called a franchise overview report. It's basically a report that just tells them about clean juice and what we do and who we are. And in the first section, it lays out our core values. And th these are the values that really kind of found how we operate our business. The way that that translates to the store is that we try to treat people, you know, better than what we're treated. You know, if somebody's having a bad day, it's our job to cheer them up. We work hard for other people by respecting their time. You know, we're in the restaurant business. We got to be quick. We got to move. So we really, you know, try to just distill those principles down to really basic what we believe are the, just the right things to do. And that's how it translates through the business. You know, our, our when it comes to um, the service piece, we basically have three principles, and it's smile, speed, and service. People want to be treated well. They want to be treated kindly. They want to be, you know, if they're coming in to eat, they probably were hungry 30 minutes ago. So they want their smoothie now. The service piece is just the quality of the product that we put out every single time. So if we can get those three things down, you got a recipe for success. And those come from our core values, which are all biblically based. 
as you opened the first store, which I got to tell you, it probably would have been a reality show with you and your children in that first first. It store. still is. Yeah. <laughs> when do you show up one day and you're like, have we made the right decision? <laughs> is what you know. Should we have done this or should I still be in corporate real estate? You know, I think that's that level of crazy. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, I think every single day we're just, we've never done this before. I've never scaled a, uh, you know, a QSR restaurant to 50 locations in three years. So there are a lot of things that I don't know that she doesn't know. She would admit that she knows them, but she doesn't know them. But <laughs> we're working on that. Um, but, you know, we're just trying to make decisions every day. And sometimes it's very overwhelming and sometimes it's very hard. Um, but, you know, again, we just believe that we're on this path for a reason, that we didn't put ourselves on this path, but he's really guiding us through this. I just believe you have to have, you know, a foundation that you believe in that's bigger than yourself, right? Um, because if you try to bear all that weight, especially when you have a thousand employees, um, that's a lot of weight to bear. Yeah. How do you balance the customer experience versus right now you're probably more involved with the stakeholders which would be your franchisees or your prospective franchisees. Mm -hmm. It's funny when you were just asking that I was like I think it was easier when we were back in the store. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like when we were just at Burkdale and focused on that and um, you know franchisee relations can be tough you know it's like having 53 different groups that have invested in your business it's like we have 53 bosses to report to, you know, that we really honor and we really want to do right by. So I think that's probably one of the hardest parts of the business, but it's definitely what Lane and I are focused on, just, you know, making sure that they're up and running well and our team is supporting them best and we're giving them all the tools to be able to be an effective small business owner. So what are some of those successes or victories that you get that just make it all worthwhile? I would say, um, you know, typically in franchising, it takes sometimes between six and 12 months to become cash flow positive, and that's pretty standard. But when we have a store that just opens up with a bang and they're crushing it and they're just, their community is so excited that they've opened a clean juice, there's nothing better than that for the two of us because we believe in clean juice. We believe that, you know, communities are better served when we're open and operating there because we are serving organic, healthy products on the go and no one's doing that. So we believe in the mission, we believe in the product, but when a community embraces us as much as we try to embrace them, there's nothing better than that. We talked about the education portion. What's the most effective way you've found to, to get that message to your potential customers? It's hard to beat Instagram right now, you know, because everyone's on their phones, it's all digital. Um, we try to do stuff in the stores, but everyone's like this all day long. So any way that we can get in front of them on their phone is really helpful. And I think regardless um, of the platform, it's really, you know, being relatable, right? What you're saying. People, you know, they. I think that people genuinely want to do the right thing. They want to be healthy. Um, they want to make good decisions. So if you can, you know, educate them on, you know, why your products are, are good and healthy and, and steer them towards that, they're probably going to pick up on it. Um, so, you know, I think that the way you do it and the medium in which you do it is important, but I think it's the message and just being being relatable and just saying, hey, look, you know, we don't have it all together, but when we're trying to eat healthy, we'll grab a smoothie instead of a burger and going down that route. Well, excellent. Well, thank you both for being here today. Sure. And uh, I'll point everyone to cleanjuice.com. That's it, awesome. cleanjuice.com. Yep. All right, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate it. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Nexogy Education or visit influencingentrepreneurs.com. 
to catch up on previous episodes with Casimir Ward.